This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center in Dallas, Texas. And my guest is Greg Adams. Uh, Greg, welcome to the Table. Thanks, Dr. Bach. Now, people will go, well, so who's Greg Adams? Greg Adams is the first, uh, that's what it says, first Chief Operating Officer for the State of Tennessee. And I didn't know government had that position. No, what it, in the world is it? Well, you, you know, the private sector has <laughs> someone that works closely with the COO to make CEO to make sure that the operations of the whole company is run on a uh-huh. daily basis. And uh-huh. so we, the governor has them decided, you know, hey, maybe that's something we should have for the state that we can really improve the efficiency and effectiveness of all our departments. So we were old friends and. Wow. He got me to come so logistics, to huh? Well, you do all the logistics stuff and all the management, making sure things are in the I right mean, place. It's, and all. it's 23 departments, 42,000 people. Oh, wow. You know, from doing roads uh-huh. to adopting to foster care to you name it. Huh. The, well, so how how does one how does one prepare for that? I mean, uh, tell us your story. Um, how did how did how did a nice guy like you get into a gig like that? Well, I was with IBM for 37 and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, and it was interesting during that time. Uh, the worst job that I had in IBM that I disliked the most really prepared me the best for this job. Oh, wow. Uh, actually, I, I, I got put into the penalty box for not taking a, a promotion. Hmm. And I was the vice president then of re-engineering, where we were re-engineering all the processes of mm-hmm. the company. Mm-hmm. And that got me engaged in things that I didn't like to do, detailed project management, mm-hmm. detailed IT, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the kind of things that for Governor Hassel in the last five and a half years I've been in the middle of. And so it's just interesting how God used a time that was the least favorable of uh-huh. my jobs to something I enjoy the most. Oh, wow. So, uh, and you said you've lived in 10 places in your life. You told me that before we got started. And uh, and of which one of the most fascinating was Japan. Talk a little bit about what it means to to live overseas in a in a culture in which you not only have to learn the language but the customs are completely different. It was it was it was probably of all the moves and things we've done just a great family experience. We have th- we had three children at the time and uh, they were 8th grade, 6th grade and 4th grade. Mm-hmm. And so for them to come from you know, very good, but white suburban churches, uh-huh. and all of a sudden they get thrust into Tokyo Baptist Church, where mm-hmm. they look into the choir, uh-huh. and there's 25 nationalities, mm-hmm. and they hear people saying that we're going back to a Muslim country, and uh-huh. we may be killed because of our faith. Oh, wow. And so for your children to see that and yeah. to experience that, it really broadened their uh, whole idea of, of what Christianity was, and to see the impact in a, in a country like Japan, and and they're a great age to have that experience because that's actually something that did mark them. I bet. I uh, it's something we talk about all the time when we get together as a family, and all of them. Before I went over, we took they had them all take some Japanese, mm-hmm. and so when they got there, we lived right in a Japanese neighborhood, and uh, just a, a wonderful experience. So, um, and you've been in Nashville uh, as uh, CEO for how long now? So. Uh, uh, 
we had actually had a stint with IBM in uh-huh. the early 90s uh-huh. where we in Nashville. And then we had another stint in East Tennessee in Knoxville where mm-hmm. I first met the governor. And it's another story we can get, get back to. Okay. And then so we moved up there in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so I was the COO for the state for five and a half years. Mm-hmm. I came in almost a third through Governor Haslam's term. Mm-hmm. And then he was term limited. Mm-hmm. And he finished in January of last year. Oh, I, I did some transition with the new governor. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm doing consulting, mentoring, chasing 10 grandkids it's called retirement but it isn't retirement right that's right right. exactly (laughs) yeah i I tease people here that you know some of the people who's like well i'm retiring and then they tell me what they're doing next and i go um i suggest you go to the dictionary and look up the word retirement you know (laughs) well you know one of the things i did i had a good friend that uh he i took a Stretching the term a little, a mm-hmm. jubilee. Uh-huh. I didn't quite work forty nine years, yeah. but I was. I said, let's take a year and mm-hmm. refresh, reflect, mm-hmm. and see what see where God would have me to do next. So, mm. I'm just finishing that time now and getting into the next phase. Very it's good. Wonderful. Well, um, so let's talk about um, some of the some of the things you've learned in doing faith and work. And let, uh, you mentioned to me earlier that you visited the seminary here back in the 1970s. Is that I got the time frame yeah. right? Late, late 70s. Late 70s. Okay, yeah. go for yeah. it. And then uh, that's actually when I was here as a student. And uh, and you were thinking about going into ministry. So, so how did you end up in business instead of in ministry? And assess what you think God did with your life in making that choice. Can, can I go back just to sure, little, absolutely, because it helps set the okay. context. Where so I, I was raised in a. A results-oriented achievement family, okay. I mean, and there was a lot of pressure on academics, sports, arts, mm-hmm. you know. And you're supposed to be an all-rounder, do, exactly. do everything yeah, well. And so, but I was I was blessed that between spring of my senior year in high school and spring of my freshman year in college, God brought men into my life who really challenged me to to get into God's Word, mm. read the Gospel of John. I'm not even sure we had a Bible in our in our house. Hmm. And fortunately, at spring of my freshman year, I finally realized that, you know, I can't add anything to what Jesus did, and I can't take away with my goofy stuff anything that he did either. Mm-hmm. And so I became a Christian at the in my uh, freshman year. A year later, I met my future bride and helped meet. Mm-hmm. So in a two-year period, God totally... You know, changed my life. Your in life, fact, yeah. it's interesting. My wife, getting back to here, uh-huh. uh, you know, Doctor Allen and his mm-hmm. wife Lindsay were childhood friends. Oh, okay, of of my wife. So he's our chaplain. Go ahead. Okay. So I so I uh, so with that kind of background, when I in the early, you know, I graduated from college, and it's funny when I speak to IBM groups, one of the thing employees always want to ask is, "Hey, why did you join IBM? Mm-hmm. Why you, you know, was it technology? Mm-hmm. Was it international?" and I say no, it was love. Hmm. And I go what? And then and then I tell the story that basically uh-huh. my wife, my fiance, said to me, "Hey, if you're going to marry me, we're going to live in Atlanta." Uh-huh. And and the reason you heard so her, it was Coca Cola or IBM exactly. <laughs> so her her, her her dad had passed away, and, and she was an uh-huh. only child, so it was good. Yeah. So it was a good start, but she ended up moving ten times after that, as, as we talked about. That's right, it's payback. So it's interesting. So as I started working, uh, I was really struggling with this secular sacred thing mm-hmm. and you know to me as a new believer and with my background of heavy works and mm-hmm. achievement i thought boy the best work i could be doing is sacred work mm-hmm. so you know why should i be in the ministry mm-hmm. and uh 
So I said, what's the best place to learn ministry? It's Dallas Seminary. Mm -hmm. So I knew some, you know, a guy that was going here. And so I actually came out to the school, went to Howard Hendrick class, mm -hmm. went to chapel. But then some men stepped in my life who were really wise folks and started talking to me about this idea of faith and work. Mm -hmm. And that really, Greg, the only difference between you and your pastor is how you guys get funded. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was an interesting concept that just how we get funded. And so it was that point that you know, I, I really got – I felt that God had called me to be salt and light. And I think it's interesting the way you stated this because you said, you know, I, I need to go do sacred work as if the work over here is something else and something normal right. and not sacred, which is the way a lot of people do right. think. And um, and I take it that you learned something in the midst of doing the work in the workplace, and that is that you had a call and the work that you were doing was, was very much – I guess I'll say it this way – God-enriched. Yeah. Um, and and so the secular sacred divide that we tend to function with and compartmentalize in our lives, particularly if we're not in professional Christian vocational work, um, uh, actually gets in the way of being who God calls us to be if we're in the workplace, right? No, exactly, exactly. So that was the when I finally started getting my arms around that, and it was really you know at our church and through these these older men mm -hmm. discipling me, I started. You know, handling that and dealing with that, and I still struggled a little with, you know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and you know, yeah, yeah. I was real careful with. Well, I'm spending too much time in the kind of ministry today, and I need to, you know, yeah. and then finally I just realized that God's in control, right? And that was the maturity of me as growing as a believer, right. in the marketplace. But let me tell you, the exciting thing was is very quickly God brought people into my life that were really hurting, hmm. really needy, mm -hmm. and I didn't have to do much but give my testimony. Yeah. And it, it was so clearly it was where God had placed me. And then my wife and I both felt, you know, I, I joke about the 10 moves, but we almost, we adopted the Paul's tent maker theme that mm -hmm. we were in ministry, but you know, IBM was our tent mm -hmm. we were making, and they were calling us to different places. And we'd plug into new churches, new communities. God bless us with kids that, you know, when they walked into a room, it was, hey, hello, everybody, let's get, you know, so. Yeah, so they weren't intimidated by the moves. No, so it was, yeah. it was something we felt like this is where God had called us and this is what we needed to be doing. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I tell people, you know, churches work hard to say, what evangelistic program should we have, et cetera, and I go, God's already designed the evangelistic program. He's got people in the front lines who are out there everywhere that he sends out from the church who are ready to represent him in the midst of wherever it is God has them, and, and that's the calling. And so all your all your board meetings where you're trying to plan what to do, just relax. Right. He's, already, he's already got it in place <laughs> that's right. in terms of what the plan is, et cetera. So, um, so let's talk about this. Uh, you know, a lot of people when they're in the business world will say, well, so how does that work as a Christian? I mean, business can be pretty ruthless. I mean, it's competition. It's um, it, it's challenging. People are fighting for the same kinds of contracts, et cetera. So, um, so how did you how did you put that aspect together in terms of your your business work? Well, and I really do for the for folks that are going to be pastors and ministers and and helping. I mean, it is the intensity around results. Mm -hmm. Has just grown exponentially because mm -hmm. it's global. It's global, global. global competition. And yeah. the other thing now is we now know with you know with the cell phones right, and all right. things we have. You know, 
there's analytic systems and metrics that are tied to what you do every day yeah. and how it ties to the you know dollars per share that stockhold that shareholders receive and someone's looking and so every quarter so i, I i've you know in in 37 years with IBM it was intense in the beginning mm-hmm. but by the time i was finishing up it was relentless mm-hmm. i mean we're just to deliver the quarterly results and so it's hard to get through it. I, I, mm-hmm. There's no to me easy answer, but that's just the importance of you know folks in an accountability group, mm-hmm. you know, good communications, relationships with their wife, their family, and and knowing at a point where if it does get too over the top, you'll know that maybe I need to be doing something interesting diff- differently. But it, you know, I have a son that's in the IT industry uh-huh. still, and I'm kind of living still vicariously through him uh-huh. as he goes through his quarter to quarter, and uh-huh. it's, it, it's amazing. Yeah, so uh, it's odd because um, in one sense, the fact that you grew up in a family that was so achievement-oriented also probably helped you prepare for what you were dealing with in the business world. Is that is that a fair no, observation it, to make? It was fair, and because and, yeah. and I, I do enjoy the mm-hmm. – the yeah, challenge, the of challenge, it? and then the the competition. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, and and the and the challenge of the business place is is that the business is in one sense is oftentimes just focused on what those results are, but meanwhile people are living their lives and feeling what they're feeling and going through what they're going through, right. et cetera. And I imagine that, uh, I'm on a. I'm going to posit a thesis that there are two kinds of managers. The manager who's interested strict uh, just the results, ma'am, just the results, right. or or the people who actually manage in such a way that they care about the people that they're managing at a personal level and engage them at that with that with that additional layer. Um, uh, and my I guess my view would be that if you're a Christian, you're going to be that. You should be that second type. Uh, in other words, you, you should care about the performance and how you serve. Absolutely, that's important. But the second part of it is is taking good care of the people that you're working with. Right, and it is one of the things that I would always try to do. And, and I was a manager in IBM and an executive from 1982 till I retired. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt that one of the things I could do for my employees was to shield them mm-hmm. from the constant. You know, questions from above. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get this done? Are we going to get this done? Mm-hmm. So that they could focus on getting their work done and mm-hmm. do, doing a great job. Mm-hmm. So clearly that's the case. But, you know, Dr. Bach, the interesting thing is because of these performance oriented cultures in all these companies, the opportunities to be natural salt and light, mm-hmm. it's crazy. I mm-hmm. mean, when people, I've got story after story where, and, and I had a little, you know, IBM, we have uh, each year you would make your numbers, you get a little pin that you mm-hmm. and so my wife took it and did calligraphy and took mark 836 for what is it profit of the man if he gained the whole world let you lose his soul mm-hmm. and so we put all my little pins that i earned around it and I, I hung that in my office and i had more experiences where one guy I just saw last week you know who had come 30 years ago came mm-hmm. in my office and said do you believe that mm-hmm. and i said i do because i need to talk to you he said because when i leave work at night he was a peer manager mm-hmm. a lot of pressure when i leave work at night i have to stop at a bar a block from my house and drink a six-pack before i can face my family wow because of the intensity mm-hmm. well today he's teaching third grade sunday school at uh, johnson ferry baptist church and oh. george has 10 uh. grad kids three saved children uh. you know it's just a great story yeah. of where Turn so life story around. after story of yeah. people they see you and they they know you're dealing with the intensity and your team is but they see there's something different there that yeah you're intense but mm-hmm. at the same time 
you know, they see that your hope is. So, so uh, a key here is not just the care of the management of the person, but also um, living inside. I imagine people look at the way you live and 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 committed Christians in the workplace all around and go, "There's something different about the way this person approaches the pressure in the life." Is that is, is it? Really, and, and the surprising thing for me is that because you always. How proactive do I get? Right, right, I, right. How in how in the face of my coworker do I get about? Hey, do you know if you would die today, where you would go? I mean, right. And I found that, and and there's people that are, that's good. Yeah, but, right. But for me, it was just it was so natural that just living a life as a a dedicated believer and being encouraged by my wife and you know and caring other for believers, people. people see that and yeah. just say, and, and literally I have like that last story. I have story after story where people would just say. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Help me. You don't seem to be as crazy as the rest of the gang, <laughs> you know. And then it's just it, it was almost a layup just yeah. to be able to say. Well, yeah, I, I have a very similar story. I, I have, you know, I've spent most of my career obviously um, teaching in a seminary. But um, my one of my early summer jobs, right after I became a Christian, uh, was to be in the mailroom of a bank. Which, and this is back when banks. Uh, had workers who did nothing but file all the checks that came through the okay. bank system. So this is before all the automation, et cetera. So we, those jobs were, you know, they they, they weren't mind uh, mind stimulating right. in some ways. And we were down there in the mailroom, tucked off to the side where everyone was doing their check filing and all that kind of stuff. And one one day I decided, you know, uh, we've got an employer's board here where we do information. I'm going to put up a thing called the verse of the day. And just put up a verse of the day, and the first one was, and I'm in Houston, Texas. Um, the first one was, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." And underneath, I put, "On the administration building at the University of Texas at Austin." Does anyone know what this refers to? So one verse and one question, and you know, people got stimulated by by that. I would do it day after, mostly proverbs and uh, uh, and, and psalms. Anyway, so one day I decided. Um, I'm going to not put up the verse of the day and see what happens. So I didn't put up the verse of the day, and and about 9:30, 10 o'clock, the people in the office were saying, "So where's the verse of the day?" Right. You know, that's good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because what would happen is is that I would put it up and then trigger a question, and while people were doing this very monotonous filing, they would talk about at one point of the day. You know what was going on. Right. They weren't going to church or anything like that, but they were just stimulated by thinking about how life is impacted um, by thinking about why did you do what you do. Right. And, uh, and and so that was a very simple exercise. It's like it's like your your you know what is it gain to uh, gain the world and lose your soul. It's right. the same kind of idea where where you just put an idea in front of someone in an environment where they're not used to seeing it. And uh, and stimulating someone's thinking. But you know, the one thing I tell, you know, friends and brothers is that as a believer, though, you still have to. I mean, I tell people there's some weeks where you're going to work sixty hour weeks. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so you can't do the. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm a believer. I only work nine to five. That's right. And, yeah. You know, and but expect to be in this high performance culture, and so yeah. So there are going to be times, and I think it's just. Yeah, I always stressed for myself mm -hmm. excellence. Mm -hmm. You know, serve unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. Didn't talk about it to people that right. just for myself because I, I wanted that to be a where my bosses would know. Hey, 
yeah, he's he's a little different, uh-huh. but boy, I can count on him. Exactly right. And he's not, you know. Now, if you're doing 60-hour weeks, three straight months, you may step back and say, is this where God really wants me? Right, because right. it's destroying my family. Right. right. But there are times in any business where you're going to have to really knuckle, yeah. knuckle now, down. Yeah, exactly. So um, so talk a little bit about what the, uh, you've talked about the kind of work-family balance that uh, many people in business go through, particularly as they move up in a company and the, the demands for performance. I, I, I'm assuming that as you move up in a, camp, in a company, the demands for performance almost ratchet up as opposed to anything else. So, We, we were uh, – when I was with IBM, there was uh, – I was on the senior leadership group, mm-hmm. and so it's uh, – Kind of a subset of the executives in the company. It's it's really a, the top three hundred of the four hundred thousand employees, mm-hmm. and it's basically just three hundred to four hundred thousand. You know, they they <laughs> they hold you by filthy lucre. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's yeah. and it, but it's one of these positions where uh, you do what you're told, mm-hmm. and so I had a real hard. Uh, incident, and that's where I ended up in the penalty box because they came to me. The experience in Japan was very was great. Mm-hmm. I learned the language. You know, IBM Japan folks mm-hmm. loved me. I was on the board, mm-hmm. and it was so. When I came back to the U.S., had another job, and we had a challenge in Latin America, and they wanted me to take a look at running Latin America. And they mm-hmm. say, "Hey, but the good news is we're not going to make you move to Brazil and be in Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. We'll let you do it out of Miami." Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, great, I fly down there Sunday night, come back Friday night, and yeah. it would just destroy my family. Yeah. It would have yeah. just – and I had two boys at the time that needed serious head shaping as uh-huh. teena- teenagers. Head shaping, daily that's basis. an interesting yeah. phrase. <laughs> and so, so, uh, uh, so I, had to, I had to turn it down. And mm-hmm. I, I, there was no other way to say, but I've got two teenage boys yeah. that I will regret uh-huh. – if I'm not around to shape their heads in uh-huh. the next three years, uh-huh. and so you know, you didn't tell say that to the the folks at that point in time. What? So I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got put in the penalty box. Uh-huh. And, you know, so a, define penalty. What is the penalty box? It's in just business? kind of a nasty job. Where, <laughs> and it's do you survive it or not? Uh-huh. I mean, and uh-huh. it, from there it could be out or uh-huh. you know, okay. So it's know. a real penalty. You know, it, and no one calls it that, yeah. but, you know, everybody Every, knows. Yeah, You know, it's like, oh, boy. Huh. So it was just an example where I, where I think, yeah, as a Christian, you can go so far and push and be in the middle of the culture, but at some point – You've got you to know, make the tough call. You just got to – and then say, God, you know, yeah. you're in control. You, you make this. Now, now that's interesting uh, uh, the, to put the, the, the kind of the trust and faith – um, point of view over a decision that you know is uh, going to be a hard decision professionally. Um, no, it it really it really really is. But uh, again, you know, through God's words, what you know, what is important, what He wants you to do, your role as a father, mm-hmm. and and it was it was just clear cut to me that. Yeah. Yeah, it is isn't like you're the only person who can fill that post for that company, but you are your child's only parent. Right, right. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s 
Do you understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party? It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Um, so, um, so as as you moved on in in your business experience, um, and let's stay focused on IBM. I'm going to shift to the government here in a second. Um, what did you feel like you were learning as you were moving along and kind of going up the ladder? You know, I, I always I loved my work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. Uh, a lot of interaction with customers, delivering services, meeting their needs, uh, leading a set of employees. It, re- it really was something that God had equipped me with a lot of those strengths mm-hmm. to to feel very natural. And but He just kept stretching me, stretching me with giving me, you know, new assignments mm-hmm. and new things. You know, from going to Japan from mm-hmm. this penalty box. Like I yeah. told you, that was at the time when headhunters would call me. Uh-huh. And say, hey, we got a job that's in the Fortune 50. I, I wouldn't even want to talk to anybody because I'd never want to do a job like that. Uh-huh. And again, like I told you later, yeah. it became you know critical for me. But uh, I, I really was daily challenged in my job, enjoyed working. So I, I, I thank the Lord for, for giving me that. Uh, and he was using those experiences to, to shape you and prepare you for what you were eventually doing. Now, you made the – I hinted, I guess, between the lines that – um, you were brought in because government tends to operate in a certain way, and you were being asked to make government operate in a slightly right. different way. Talk about that a little bit. Well, probably need to start with just how how this first. Okay. So I'm so as you said, I'm, I'm moving along in my career and being challenged, but at the same time, you you read all these books about you know. You know the red zone uh-huh. and second half, uh-huh. and, and I'm saying, Lord, what? Do you have something else for me where mm-hmm. I can use the th- skills that I've built up to help maybe in a, another part of my life, nonprofits, uh-huh. you know, ministry, et, et, et cetera? And uh, back in the uh, late 80s, we had a two-year stint in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I was in a – formed a small group with a retailer, a lawyer. I was the salesman, mm-hmm. you know, a distributor and a banker. Mm-hmm. And – I left that group then after two years because we moved to to Boston, and I stayed close friends with those guys, but especially one guy who got elected governor of Tennessee Mm. in 2010. And so November of 2010, I sent him a text, Uh and my wife's very close with the first lady, Uh and I say, hey, hey, governor, we're just so proud of you. We'll be praying for you. And and he comes back and says, I need you to come help me Mm. do some things up here. And, and this is the tip of us te- right. texting at 10 o'clock at night. Right. right. <laughs> and so uh, at that point in time, I'd just taken a new assignment in IBM, and I, it didn't make sense to leave because I wouldn't be finishing well. Right, with right. So I, so I said to him, let's, let's discuss mm-hmm. what are you thinking about. Mm-hmm. And so over the next two and a half years, I had a couple trips to Nashville. Uh, we talked about the job, and 
and then my wife, we talked about, is God calling us to do? Because mm-hmm. here she is. Mm-hmm. We moved 10 times. We're back in Atlanta at this point. Uh-huh. And her knucklehead husband's saying, I think God may be calling us to. And so with Governor Haslam, we just talked about the idea of how can we make uh, government run more efficient and effective? Mm-hmm. How can we measure things? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we pay employees differently to mm-hmm. incent them to do you know work for the citizens? And so that took in July of 13 then I joined his team as mm-hmm. the first COO mm-hmm. in the state of Tennessee and at the time I was the second COO in the country mm-hmm. and but the one that was in Florida mm-hmm. it was a different type wasn't the real COO job mm-hmm. and then eventually now when I left you know a year ago there was 15 COOs across the state and oh, I wow. had actually had worked with mm-hmm. the National Governors Association on and a consulting organization to help formulate this job mm-hmm. The new governor in Tennessee brought in a COO, uh-huh. you know, because the job has really made a difference. I think interesting, and and I, I take it that um, the part of the shift shift is that um, that what it seems like almost a you know a bureaucratic job just. You run the forms and you do the you do the work, um, but in another sense, it's it it requires because you're actually. You know, face to face with the citizens of the state right. um, is an extremely important. Not only that, you get things done, but how you do them. It, it was, it was one of these ones where God really just prepared. Because when you, you first thing I did, I, I went, "What is state government?" Right. I mean, right. I don't know. I, right, right, right. I, I think of it as paying my taxes yeah, and, yeah. and get my driver's license. Right. Right. So I went out and visited our twenty-three departments, uh-huh. and I start seeing all the things we do. Right. Right. And so from delivering services to our citizens, like you said, but then the other thing I saw was, gosh, we're doing it for the least of these. Yeah, right. We're really helping. Right. And so what I saw consistent across the 23 departments is that we're a services business. Right. Like IBM, we were an IT services business. And so I kind of adopted that construct Uh and started saying, hey, we're a services business. And Mm -hmm. so what we did, we cataloged. All the services mm-hmm. that each of the departments provided, and mm-hmm. it's a thousand different services. Mm. Then we baselined them. We mm-hmm. started measuring them. And let me give you an example of a great service. Okay. Did you ever think of when you go in and get a gallon of gas? Uh-huh. Is it really a gallon? Yeah. Well, who goes and measures all those pumps? Oh, I've seen that stamp. Sure? Yeah. <laughs> so, so all these kind of services that, yeah. that we delivered. So that w- that became the construct. And even mm-hmm. Governor Haslam then started adopting, saying. Hey, in state government, we're a services business. Uh-huh. And so when you raise up the idea that, oh, government, they're just, no, no, we're, deli- we're delivering services right. to our citizens. Right. And it really, and, and then we came up with a thing called customer focused government. Uh-huh. And, and, it really, and it really got traction. And then we ended up saying we have to pay for performance, uh-huh. scheme, which you don't see much in government. Uh-huh. It's kind of across the board raises yeah. if you get them. So we started putting performance plans in place. So that was the incentive. Yeah. And then if you did it, if you exceeded, you got 4%, 7%, uh-huh. 3%. So it was really a, but it was really just so much. I, I, as a believer, I felt like, wow, this is we're delivering services, mm-hmm. f- driving, striving for excellence for our citizens. We're doing it to the least of these, mm-hmm. uh, and then just the opportunities there to be salt and light. Was yeah, it, you know, g- government work and civil service is really um, something most people um, don't understand or appreciate. Um, I'm, I'm on the board of an organization here called uh, Christians in Public Service, SIPS. Yeah. And um, 
and it's nonpartisan. It's designed to help people be the best at their at their service that they can be. Uh, it's actually it was founded by African American woman who was the first deputy mayor of Duncanville, and uh, and and we we see ourselves as trying to help people be a different kind of civil servant, for lack of a better mm-hmm. description, and completely nonpartisan. And in fact, one of the things that we have to wrestle with is the way in which, um, in the context of elections, you know, we might have two people in our organization who are, who could be running against one. I've been in a meeting where, after an election, two people have apologized to one another for how they treated one another in the election because of the pressures of what that represents. And that's actually that's all background to ask you this question, and that is, how do you how do you deal with? Because I think one of the challenges of government is it is a service organization, but it's driven by a lot of uh, partisan forces and a lot of lobbying that goes on in terms of how things get done. Right. Help. <laughs> no, and, and that's why I always point out to people that there's when they say government, there's really, to me, two beasts in this. Uh-huh. The first is, let's call it the executive branch. And so the, the so I, I mentioned we had 42,000 right, employees. Right. So of those 42,000 employees, probably only 50 of us uh-huh. cared about whether the governor got reelected. Uh-huh. You know, the rest are career. They're trying to do their job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then, but then you got this other thing, which is the the legislature. Mm-hmm. And so you got the 132 state senators and representatives. So you're referring to the legislature as a beast? Is that what you well, But I said we're a beast, too. <laughs> okay, just from the size and affectionate <laughs> right, beast. Right, 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 right. And so that was the real eye-opener to me is yeah. that – you know, I, I'd been used to dealing with a board of directors, which are usually kind of business ladies and men. That, right, you know, right. Just, well, all of a sudden, you got 132 individuals uh-huh. who are always on getting votes. Right, right. And they leave you alone, but all of a sudden, there's something that happens where a, a program that you did did something to one job in their district, and uh-huh. you know, yeah. and and so. That whole it's a different in, kind of accountability. It really is. And yeah. So, so that was. Uh, Learning that whole uh-huh. aspect, yeah. you know, I really wish if I would have gone back that first summer when I started, uh-huh. just to gone out and met with, just introduce myself. Yeah, just, hey, here's what I'm trying to do, versus they get wind of, oh wait, did you hear he's going to share? I need service? you to fix a problem, and my and my job depends on your fixing right, this. Right. Yeah. So it so it is that that whole aspect of yeah. it makes it just it, it adds another layer of. Communication, right. interaction with people, listen, right. listening, and the and the pressure that that generates um, it, it isn't always what I would call the best pre- kind of pressure because it's it it's oftentimes even though at one sense it seems it could be well motivated it oftentimes is motivated with some very mixed um, expectations that that can be challenging. No, it and those uh, credit to those people and I, I credit the governor. I mean just. To have to run for office, right, and then to continue and then to get a second term, and it, it's hard. Well, uh, what we found in the organization is is that is that the people who put themselves in that position end up can be worn down by the demands that are coming at them from their constituents for certain things, etc. Because everybody wants something from you, right? Um, and that is a that's a different kind of relentless pressure. Well, it's interesting. So when the when the governor announced that he was going to 
you know, have a COO and mm-hmm. some guy from IBM, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, right, the right. press wants, yeah, to, yeah exactly. Wait, your job's the COO. You're not, <laughs> and most people don't realize that you know, with 6.7 million citizens, right, and traveling around the state and right. all the policy and things going on, most governors don't have the time, yeah. to get into the details that I did as to it's like a provost and a president in the school, right? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's a challenge. It's well, that's. Uh, that's that's fascinating. So so let's talk about we we haven't we've alluded to this, but in the midst of all this that you're doing, et cetera, you've got a family that you're interacting with and trying to deal with in the midst of all this. You've already talked about at least one or a couple of decisions you made that impacted your family. How did you monitor that tension between um, between what your job was asking of you and the way in which your family was how your family was doing? So I think there's there's probably one of the most important things that my wife and I did in our we call it walk a talk. Mm-hmm. So once our kids were old enough where we could leave the house for a half hour and they wouldn't kill each other, mm-hmm. you know, we started we would walk for a half hour to forty minutes mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. You know, just a good pace, mm-hmm. but really more just to talk mm-hmm. and just to make sure that. You You're know, on the same page. We were on the same page, yep. and it was interesting. The kids, would, oh, well, oh, mom and dad are going off. They're strategizing. <laughs> you know, so I, I, but it was so important for for Janine and I just to to be able to talk every day about what was going on and to hear her heart about. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you've been you've been getting up late every night mm-hmm. or whatever the issue yeah. was, and so I think for for anybody that's in these kind of jobs, just to have that time where they set aside with their with their wives just to walk to talk and to get out and then i mentioned it before just to, yeah, to me i needed an accountability group mm-hmm. i needed four other guys to be mm-hmm. asking you know every thursday morning at 6 a.m to seven thirty. hard you know, questions hey, what are you yeah. doing are, you know, wait yeah. a second tell yeah. me what you did last week or yeah. you know tell me why you're traveling so much yeah. and so and then obviously to be in a great church and mm-hmm. you know but those things were important to, to help keep me you know, hey, if God's called me to be doing this, how do I make sure that, you know, I'm staying in His Word and I'm staying on path with my family and my marriage? And so, um, now what I want to do, the kind of the last segment is is talk about, uh, you know, when you think about the church and you think about business people, um, what often happens in churches is is that pastors will see business people as the people they need to be close to to. To get the generate the um, support that they need to do what they're going to do in the church, and in some cases even to help them manage the church, et cetera. But what we've found in the faith and work work that we've done is is that there's almost sometimes a disconnect because the pastor doesn't understand the world of the businessman, and and so what advice would you give to people who are training for ministry or in ministry who may never themselves have worked in the workplace but are um, sh- supposed to shepherd people in in this role. What advice would you give so that the connection between the business person and the and the church leadership, the pastoral team, all the way down, not just the senior pastor, uh, is a healthy one? You know, I, I think there should be. I, I was in my early years as a believer in the church that I went to. I, I just never heard the concept of, you know faith and work and mm-hmm. and God's a worker and he created it so it's like the sacred that. life was ran on Sunday but then on Monday you're right. on your own exactly there yeah. just wasn't that so somehow a you know not just one series but just a continued 
yeah. reinforcement of that of that con- concept. The other thing too is I I'm actually in a small group now with my pastor, hmm. and I think it's great for you know pastors not just with their staff, but you know get in a small group with see what the four, life is like. Four guys that are yep. out in the marketplace yep. and just hear them and then be l- learning about that. And I tell you, I'll, I'll never forget. My pastor said to me when I we first got there, and you know we did the new members class, and mm-hmm. I'd been an elder in our churches. We get involved, yeah, but I was really concerned about this new job. Like, what was I getting into? But you know, so I I'm having this conversation with him, and I'm trying to how do I participate in Sunday school or this and uh-huh. that. And he just said to me, he just seemed to anticipate and uh-huh. said, "Hey, tell you what, governor needs you. Uh-huh. You know, you're about to go into a firestorm." Uh-huh. How do we serve you? Yeah, don't don't worry about it. You just you come here and be served. And I like wow. Yeah, just that to, made yeah what an impact. So those thinking that way that mm-hmm. hey we're here to serve the you know the business folks in the church because they're going out every Monday right and just living their lives in front of people and and it and it's just going to get harder. Yep. You know. I, I like to say, you know, we'll illustrate what you're supposed to do in the family. We'll illustrate what someone's supposed to do in their community. We'll illustrate how they're supposed to serve in the church. We'll illustrate how they do evangelism. But the one thing we don't illustrate is uh, what's going on from nine to five on Monday to Friday in the in, in the kind of environments that people are working in. And the hard thing about that is, is that that's the biggest part, biggest productive right. part of most people's lives that's left unaddressed. So we sit there and say we want God to be with you in every space that you occupy, but the biggest space that people occupy goes unaddressed, right. and that's a problem. We, we actually have in our church, we call it the Nashville Institute of Faith and Work. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a thing where they have little you know, seminars and little teaching. It, it just it keeps the visibility mm-hmm. within the church as a resource. For folks that really want to understand more about that, yeah. So I, 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 you know, one of the things that we try and do. Actually, this is part of the intent of the way we handle our chapels. We, you know, there's the curriculum. Like theological curriculum is pretty, pretty set. I, I tease people. I say, you know, you're not going to get much change when you've been doing what you've been doing since the Middle Ages. And so, right. yeah, you know, so, you know, so change. You know, they come in small increments. So you've got this core curriculum, which is set. This is how you teach theology, so students learn it. This how you do preaching, et cetera. And what, we've, what we do at the center is what we're called co-curricular. We look at the curriculum, see where its holes are in terms of values and experiences, and we step into those spaces for the student. And, and the beauty is it's not a class. They don't get graded on it. It's not a box they check okay. to get their degree. It's part of the warp and woof of the way of thinking about life. And, and and that's what we're trying to supply to the student. And and what we've tried to do is to listen really hard to the business people around us here in the city uh, about what they need from uh, spiritual leaders and from their pastors as they engage in life that they're engaged in as a way of trying to encourage them and to, and to get uh, acclimated to, to what is a very different right. life. The other thing that was – as I've been on this journey, is not just the idea of being faith and work and salt and light, but just the idea of common grace mm-hmm. and, and seeing what we do, and especially in government. Yes, the impact on you know non-believers and even non-believers making impacts on right. people's lives. And I don't know how God's working there, uh-huh. but to really see that happening, yes. and, that, and that's incre- and I I'm always amazed when I do these department visits. I don't leave them without a dry eye because uh-huh. they usually do 
they want to feature one of their things they're uh-huh. doing. And it's just heartbreaking, the things, the lives they're, they're touching. And I, and I see the individuals that are doing it. And my guess is usually that, you know, 60% of them are believers, the mm-hmm. hearts that they have to have. But yeah. the, the others that aren't, I know that God's working in them somehow. Yeah. So. Well, they see, uh, if they sense at all the positives that they can bring by the way they do their job, that's, but I, we, we were very involved in the PTA when, when our kids were going through school. We had our kids in public schools. And I, I call it's the variation of what I call whack a mole. The Christians would always pop up, you know. Right, right. <laughs> you know the the men, the number of of teachers who said I'm here to serve these children and I'm trying to do the best I can and I really see this as a ministry and I feel very called to it. Um, the the amount of people who we would see who would do that once they figured out that we were, you know, we weren't just parents, but you know, I was teaching in a seminary and, and served in a church. Man, they would pop up and talk mm-hmm. to, me. and in some cases, uh, just just share what they were wrestling with, and just being available. And I, I sometimes think that's how pastors should be. Uh, avail or at least the staff um, be available to the variety of business people right. as well as encouraging business people to encourage one another because they know those business people know what others are going through in the business right. space so um, well Greg I, I really appreciate your uh, coming in and talking uh, with us and and almost would you would you say that what you, the experience that you had would be the equivalent of like receiving a call? Like a pastor would say, I'm called to ministry. I was called to serve God in the business space, in the government space. No, I, I, I would I would say that, and um, and and like it was it was just good for me to have this struggle with the sacred and the secular mm-hmm. to force me and and God bring people in my life to think through that, and then just to see the uh, the natural fruit that mm-hmm. again I'm I'm not the Knock down the door, yeah. But just to see how God would bring need, needy people in, into my life and just give me the opportunity to be a part of His work. So, so what I'm hearing you say is, is if you just let the door be open and be sensitive to what's going on around you, there really <laughs> life serves the opportunity to serve. Oh, and and this the move to government was another one where, uh, I mean, it was it was hard for Janine and I to really pray through this because we say, wait a second, gosh, we've been all around the world. Yeah, it's it's hard picking yeah. up ten times. And right, right. We're back in Atlanta, her hometown, uh-huh. and I think she feels like, oh, God, I, we did Finally. <laughs> and, and then, but, you know, as we kept praying and talking about it and saying, gosh, wait a second, here's someone that we know is a committed believer mm-hmm. and is genuine and real, mm-hmm. and he's saying, Hey, we come help us. I think we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so we, we said, "Gosh, is is God not leading us here? Because mm. we're the first every night to watch the news and go, well, these knuckleheads in <laughs> Washington or Nashville or yeah, you know, yeah, that's we, right. you know and yeah. then, well, wait, here's a chance for us to right. To, yeah, it's not an easy job. Yeah. The one thing you learn working with civil servants is is the um, intense pressures that they're under and and oh. what it is that they're trying to do. And sometimes they start out well intentioned, and then it just gets hard. Well, I had a I had two cell phones, mm-hmm. and one stayed on all the time. So I was the first call mm-hmm. into the governor's office because you know we have tornadoes and floods right, right. and stabbings in prisons, and we have to take children out of phones. And they don't sign up when they show up. No, and it's, and so <laughs> you know that that was just a whole mm-hmm. you know no one got killed in IBM for 
in, right. in my job selling computer right. hardware and software and services. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, I'm in an environment where we're talking about people's lives. Yeah. And so, and again, just to see God working. And so, no, I, I definitely feel like they were calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's there for for men and women, you know, in the business, in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Just, And I think the other thing, Daryl, that I just uh, – and you guys probably know the theology of this, but just God's economy is so different. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just such a individual growing up that big is better, uh-huh. and like I got to be doing something that's you know five hundred people are coming to Christ versus mm-hmm. maybe just one life that I'm touching. God's mm-hmm. called me to do, mm-hmm. and so when I finally got my hand around, you know, the widow's might. Yeah, the issue concept, of scale. Yeah, yeah, and like, hey, me doing one on one with some person, it really is. If that's what God has me there to, to do, mm-hmm. then why is that different than you preaching to 500 people? Exactly. And, yeah. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Um, uh, I mean, we, as I said, because we've uh, – my own experience with civil servants is I, they're some of the most underappreciated people yeah. in some ways that we we have in the, in the, in the workspace. But also, the, thank you for taking the time to share with us this combination of, of faith and work and the way um, a person can live out their lives and the way in which the church can encourage that, because I think um, this is a very important space, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very important for the life of the church that that, that, that relationship be appreciated um, and connected in the context of what the church is doing. So I thank you for coming in and helping us with that. Uh, it's been a privilege and an honor for me to be a part of this. Okay. Hopefully it's Well, thank you very much. And we thank you for watching The Table. Hope you'll join us again soon. If you have a topic you'd like for us to consider for a future episode, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. That's thetable at dts.edu. We take a look at those, and then we think about, well, who can we interview that will help us with that area? And, you know, maybe the show you suggest will be be on, on the table. So we thank you for joining us and hope we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.